Lucifer Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. For all things comics, movies, media, music, and more, check out the Cage Club Network. That's cageclub.me. You know, in my heart of hearts, I always knew, I always knew I would sit at night and like, you know, I always felt different. And maybe that's why the first comic that I ever connected with was Daredevil Man Without Fear. He was different. I was different. So anyway, in my heart of hearts, I always knew I was different. And so every once in a while, something comes along that you really connect with and you're like, that's me. I see me in that. And, you know, from the moment I laid eyes on this character, I saw myself in them. And I just always knew someday that Brew and I would become King Brood. I just knew this was the most fulfilling issue of my life since Moira decided to change her last name to X. Guys, that makes me way too excited. I mean, Nico, this is We Are Krakoa. I'm Dylan. I'm Kyle. I'm Regina. And I'm Jonah, and we hope you survive this experience. Unlike Ronan the Accuser, who for some reason's in this story, and he's no longer with us. I'm having a stroke. Everybody sees me having this stroke, right? This issue, like, and it had all the best things I love about an issue of X-Men, where it pulled in... A th- okay, getting ahead of myself, Regina, would you tell us all about this fabulous book? X-Men number nine, The King Egg, was written by Jonathan Hickman. The artist was Lionel Yu. The color artist was Sonny Gao. And VC's Clayton Cowles was the letterer. I think back to the X-Men Revolution, which in so many ways was like the birthplace of modern X-Men, and how Lionel Francis Yu did some really cutting-edge work back then, alongside the Kubert brothers, actually. So it's really fascinating the way that all comes full circle. And I think about his beautiful work on New X-Men, and, well, I think about his beautiful work on New Avengers, and I just love this guy's work, and I've loved it for years. And he's really realizing something here. You know, we've been talking about X-Men Fantastic Four, and Kyle and I just so happen to be looking at a rather wonderful run of Excalibur right now. And the Dodsons appear there, and you can sort of see the beauty of Terry Dodson's Kitty Pride growing. So I kind of feel a little bad about some of my comments. You know, he's really grown as an artist, and you can see it in a lot of his characters. And I think this is like the full realization of Lionel Francis Yu's talent. It kind of makes me more okay with the issues he's missed. I really loved the drama of this. I loved the multi-part storytelling. This for me, had humor, drama, narrative, history. Like, I really do feel like Jonathan Hickman and Lionel Francis Yu took me to fucking comic book school. This has been one of the most rewarding runs I have ever read of anything. And i just such a Hickman fanboy in a way that I wasn't on his Avengers, but I definitely was for S.H.I.E.L.D. and Fantastic Four and Secret Warriors. So like, okay, someone please, I need somebody to take the ladle and start talking. I will agree with Nico, this book and this entire series so far has been pretty good. Except for maybe that second issue where it was just like a picnic with Cyclops and his kids. But I really liked this issue too. 
Brew is one of the weird looking characters that Nico likes that I am okay with. And so this story is great. I feel like having a brood on the team has been underutilized for a while. I mean, Brew has been with the X-Men for a good chunk of years right now. I mean, it's almost yeah. a decade. Yeah. He showed up in the Greg Pack. Astonishing X-Men. Astonishing yes. X-Men. Yeah. So, I mean, we're looking at almost a decade. This has been a really phenomenally contributive character at this point. He was the focal point of Aaron's Wolverine and the X-Men, particularly my favorite arc of it, the Hellfire Saga. And it is just really an exquisite bit of character development. It's exciting to have Brew be a part of a story that involves the Brood. The only other time that he's been a part of a Brood story was when he was first introduced, like we mentioned in The Astonishing X-Men that he showed up in. Which, by the way, if I'm remembering correctly, Storm is the one that wanted to save him. I'm pretty sure everyone else just wanted to like leave him there or kill him because he was a Brood. Uh, one addition, there was also a short arc at the beginning of Wolverine and the X-Men. It's just exciting to have Brood Brew be with the mainstays like Cyclops and Jean in a giant intergalactic brood story. So I really like this issue. This is actually my first time experiencing Baby Brew. Uh, Nico has talked about him many, many a times about his love for this weird dinosaur looking character who has glasses and is like, he's all right in my book. It's Frasier as a space lizard. This isn't a stretch. You're not wrong. Uh... <laughs> When it first, when X Men first started off going all over the place, I was a little bit wary of it as a title. But I will say, right now, it's probably one of my favorites. I find it probably the most interesting, as well as the most just fun to be in. And there were a lot of characters in this, and there was a lot going on. My personal favorite moment was Gladiator and his kid and his sidekicks beating the crap out of Ronan because that's what Ronan deserves. Because I don't like the Kree. I don't really care for them. And I got joy out of that. As Marie Kondo would say, this one brings me joy. Um, I, I, uh, I don't know how to react to someone disrespecting the Supreme Or. So I'm gonna need to go. No. Um, the, the, the Kree are like my second favorite Marvel aliens behind the Shi'ar, or maybe the, the, the Gladian, the Gladiar, what are they? The, the Gladio, the Gladios. Gladios. They are my, yes. Um, I actually think the Kree are really fascinating. They're not necessarily my favorites or anything, but they are a really interesting concept. Regina, what did you think about... The ascendancy of my precious baby Brew and the issue as a whole. I, I like oddball characters. I have enjoyed Brew in almost everything I've read him in, which he hasn't been like a major, major player. But as soon as I saw him going on this mission, I was like, oh boy. <laughs> And when he ate the egg, I just died laughing. <laughs> it was so funny. And I really liked him just kind of being no, so nonchalant about it. He was just like, yeah, I'm just having this egg. I ate it. <laughs> I 
thought that was it was really nice to see him becoming part of the bigger picture finally I think his character is long overdue for better recognition because he does have a lot to bring to the table and when we first saw him so his story was his story was so sad and he was so alone and so to have his family with the X-Men and being part of them and now he's he's been able to give them something back that's more than anybody could have ever expected really so I did enjoy that I also enjoyed Kid Gladiator's comment to his dad saying I'll forgive you for all the time that uh, you've messed up on that you promised me if you'll fuck this dude up I was like all right kid me and you we're on the same page (laughs) I'm totally in love with that whole cast of Wolverine and the X-Men kids it's one of my favorite runs you know I joke all the time that Jason Aaron writes my inner narration he really, really created a beautiful cast of characters, and I love seeing so many of them used here. I loved that gladiator moment, so like, I am right there with you, Regina. The scene where we see Sam and Roberto talking, that made me kind of reevaluate some of the issues of New Mutants that we didn't care for that much. When I went back to reread them... I feel like more some you know we talked a little bit about, about how some of the characters were seemed to regress and how they were out of character for how far they've come from now and now I'm wondering if we perhaps misinterpreted what we were seeing. I feel like now those stories were being written from the perspective that it's being told from Bobby's perspective. And this is his unreliable narration presenting what he is seeing instead of us actually seeing what's going on. So when I was kind of reading this book and I went back to reread the New Mutants books, I was like, okay, I feel much better about those issues now. <laughs> Because based on what we see here, this seems more natural than what was going on there. So I had actually considered that in the middle of that run. I mean, the way that those stories were being told compared to every other book just seemed a little off. So seeing uh, Roberto and Sam's actions here compared to in New Mutants, it definitely made me feel like that possibly was actually the case. I actually really enjoyed seeing the historical view of the uh, brood coming to this universe. How they were modified to become a weapon to bring down other intergalactic empires. So the amount of planning that went into bringing everything together at this point in time is just kind of crazy. I agree. It's really kind of cool that we were given more depth to one of the X-Men and Marvel Universe's, like, biggest villains that basically just always came off as senseless creatures causing mayhem for no reason. So I agree. It was really crazy, but also kind of really cool to get more depth to the brood. And like, you know, one of the things I love the most about that is even the xenomorph, which the brood is clearly based on, has that sort of there was a logic behind the creation. With the Dawn of X being completely plotted out by Hickman, there's a lot of fans who write about how Hickman, in his storytelling, especially with the X-Men, doesn't seem to focus too much or have ideas for other writers to add on to for women characters. For the most part, a lot of fans who shout this say that Hickman seems to be very great to Emma. And a lot of people think that he's great to Emma because Emma has this attitude of she's always 
she's a female, but she has the attitude of a man that she just does whatever she wants to and doesn't care and doesn't have that heart that other female characters have. So besides Emma, do you think that Hickman has written female characters in a great way? Or has he given a good outline for the other writers of all the other Dawn of X books to write females in a great way? Hmm. You know, I think that's a kind of, it's a difficult statement because I do think that Jean has gotten a lot of really great play and she's gotten a lot of development. I think we've seen, you know, it's just, he has such an unfocused narrative and so much of the Quiet Council is male because so much of the architecture of the X-Men that he's trying to tear down is male, but... He's given Mystique great development. He's actually managed to develop Destiny in her own way. Moira has had great development. So it's like, it's tough because the the framework of X-Men as a creature is undeniably male-centric, making the application and insertion of female narrative more difficult. I think Jean has been placed in a powerful position. I think Mystique is representing the counterbalance of the maleness of the Quiet Council. But I think we have a long way to go before women represent the hierarchy of X-Men the way they are represented on covers and in action figures. Regina, being our resident female of the crew, what are your thoughts? I agree that some criticism of Hickman is warranted as far as the way that he personally writes female characters. I'm still waiting to figure out why Jean is back in her dumb Marvel girl costume. I hate that costume. I have always hated that costume. Every time I see it, I just, I go into a Wolverine blackout rage. Because that's how much I hate that stupid miniskirt. I think that as far as the overall narrative, women are playing important roles in the story. When we see like Jerry Dugan and Teeny Howard, what they're doing with the women in their stories. Of course, I love Jerry. You guys have heard me just effuse about him. They have done, a, I think, a better job of presenting their women characters in a way that Hickman hasn't. So that's kind of where I'm at. Almost every book that I've seen that Hickman has written. The women just don't appear as dynamic in the books other than Emma. And I'm not really sure why, because as you know, I'm not the biggest Emma fan, but I'm, I have loved everything that she's done in Marauders. I'm just not feeling the way that Hickman himself writes his female characters. It seems flat. A few issues ago when we were having our little dinner, I don't remember any major female characters in that story. It was all male-centric, and that bothered me a lot. I kind of agree with Nico with the statement of Hickman's kind of all over the place. I mean, he's the one that made this giant map for all the writers. So I feel like, like Regina said, Emma is great in Marauders. Kitty is, or Kate, is amazing in Marauders. So I will say and what my thoughts and reactions are to whenever I see people make the comments about Hickman's writings of females is he is the one that made the giant map of what the Dawn of X was going to be. And so he made the map of what was... I I know some of the writers picked some of the characters for their books, but Excalibur and Marauders have two very strong females in in charge with Kate and Elizabeth. So 
that's kind of my argument back to he made this giant map that others are writing. So at least he did give that out there. I know Nico says that Jean seems like she's in a good place. I actually don't think Jean's in a good place compared to where Jean was prior to her death many, many years ago. I don't think Jean is in the forefront like she should be. And I don't feel like Storm is really in the forefront either. I feel like she's just babysitting Kate. So there's some females where they should be, but others I feel are not where they should always be. Incidentally, I think you sound dumb today. (laughs) Yeah, I have to agree with Dylan about Jean. I don't feel like she's being utilized the way that she is capable of being utilized. We just keep getting little hints of stuff that's going on with her. She's having trouble with her moral compass at the moment. I do feel like Kate and Betsy and Emma actually have been great focuses for these books. And slightly less so with Quanon. I think that we got some good story for her, even if the actual story itself wasn't very fulfilling. I don't know. I can't really think of any other women that has really had a good focus in, in these books. Something that I was kind of most excited about since the... Hox Pox started was the inclusion of more women characters who that Dylan loves and Nico loves that should have been brought to the front like kind of like Monet I hate to like harp on it but I was kind of expecting to see a lot more Monet I was expecting to see Husk more I was expecting to see these certain women that just kind of have still been faded into the background and I don't know exactly how to feel about it I really am conflicted that there's there's that there is all of these great women characters that can be utilized and can be used to their fullest potential and be brought to this new generation of comic readers. But I I feel like we're just kind of relying on already who's popular. And not that I don't love everything Emma has done, but I really wish that other characters are getting the Emma treatment. And I want the Emma treatment to be, this is a great female character as opposed to this female character is great because she's coded male. And, you know, it's that sort of distinction that's really going to be important going forward. We need to reach a place where the onus of being a dynamic female character is not simply in how masculine you can present. It That's a deeply reductive way to look at it. And I really agree with a lot of the sentiment here. I do still want better for these female characters. You know, one of the things that I've loved the most about coming to know Regina through this show is it turns out we share a really deep bench of the same sort of obscure characters. And Dylan, it's not that, you know, you're not king of obscure characters, but it seems like Regina and I really share a lot of the same ones. And we were just discussing Amelia Vaught the other day, who is just this deeply forgotten Xavier love interest. And there was all of this passion put into her and all of this effort. And then she just disappeared because... Because there's a long-standing history of X-Men writers not knowing what to do with strong women. And Regina, I don't know about you, but I think half of that has to do with the fact that there were so few female writers in X-Men able to show these men what a strong woman can do by virtue of the boys club, you know, barricade. I agree. And I think that's one of the major reasons that 
Jean's character being the first female X-Man has constantly just been written not very well. She's just the girl. And, you know, there's been editorial mandates that have changed her character back and forth over time. So some of it is not necessarily the fault of the writers specifically, but that is a big problem when you've got four guy characters that can be the leader, that can be the brains, that can be the funny guy, that can be the rich playboy character. And Jean is just the girl. After all these years, Jean should not just be the girl. (laughs) She has had so much happen to her and she has gone through so much. There is just no reason for her to still be known as that. That's very deeply infuriating. And then we've got her clone, Madeline, who's just the scorned woman who's now evil and the trauma that she went through being erased. And I actually posted about that in House of Goblin Queen yesterday. That trauma is going to affect her character development. And when writers don't look at that erasure of who she was and not be able to create a sympathetic character from that that would continue on. That's a big problem. We've got Sabretooth who has literally gutted people. People love Sabretooth. There is no reason that we can't do the same thing for women characters, even when they do things that we don't like. You know, that's a really great point. I hearing you use Sabretooth and like, what a great way to tie it back to even the beginning of Hoxpox. Sabretooth kind of does represent the worst things of the X-Men and what they're willing to forgive. Dylan and I are actually taking a look at a run where Tabby kind of forgives a, we'll say, temporarily brain-damaged Sabretooth, who then, well, guts Psylocke. And it's so interesting to realize that Sabretooth's kind of always gotten a pass for being a monster. He just had his, you know, Logan Code axis flipped a few months back. And like, oh, also... Real quick, before I can forget, not to change topics, because we're talking about Madeline, and we're talking about X-Men and good guys, women. Okay, Havoc was here again with none of his Hellions damage again, and whenever I think about Havoc, I think about the fact that Madeline used Havoc as a fuck toy. Like, during Inferno, the extent to which Madeline used Havoc, like, I've never seen a woman use a man as a fleshlight before. Because it would be wrong to say that anything went into Madeline. So I, yeah. But no, for truth, truth and seriously, I think that women keep getting boiled down to these archetypes. And you see these attempts to break out of it. X-Men First Class made a lot more Wanda and Lorna stories happen. But even then, that was Jeff Parker, a great writer, great, phenomenal, excellent woman, positive writer, but still a man writing these women's stories. Uh, Becky Cloonan did some of the art, but again, we still had miles to go, and we still yet do. This whole hoxpox was brought together by one particular woman who changed her last name, according to Nico, of Moira, Moira McTaggart. And she played such a vital and central role to the current mutant upbringing and uprising and just mutant celebration that we have today. We have not seen her in anything. Where the fuck did Moira go? I understand right now she's kind of like, we have to make sure, say Moira's dead, blah, blah, blah. But like, I feel like from going from such, having such a, a character be revitalized so well to not seeing her ever again is a crime. 
I expect that we will see her again. I think Hickman tends to come into these things with like a five-year plan. And I'm going to have to assume that now it's a six-year plan that became a seven-year plan. The success of this was just so big so quickly. I'm going to imagine Marvel wanted to, you know, maybe stretch it out a little bit in a good way. Not in a not in a sinister way, but in a, you know, oh, this is popular. Let's keep doing this motherfucking thing. Right? So then I think that they probably you know they probably have a five-year plan and i would imagine we're going to see moira at one three and five that's my guess So with the incredible dearth of comics coming out right now, that does leave audiences looking for something to read. And well, there's a wealth of back matter, whether it's something that's recent that you just haven't had a chance to read, or perhaps it's something a little bit older. Here at We Are Krakoa, we wanted to come together and give you guys a couple of things to read. I myself never being able to keep things brief, have a few different recommendations for you. If you're looking for a quick, easy read, you can knock out The Eternals by Neil Gaiman and John Romita Jr. in about two hours. It's a single hardcover omnibus kind of miniseries. It's likely going to have a lot of impact on the upcoming film. It ran only seven issues. It's about 250 pages from 2006. I definitely recommend checking it out if you think you're going to want to check out the Eternals movie when it comes out. Now, if you've got a little bit more time on your hands, you might want to check out Captain Britain and MI-13. Launching out of like a really poorly connected secret invasion tie-in, the whole series gives a lot of life and personality to everybody in the title helping to elevate Captain Britain and the rest of the cast. It also works actively to tie together the threads of previous runs of Captain Britain, so I super recommend it. The whole thing kicked off with Wisdom's miniseries 1 through 6, and then pivoted over to Captain Britain and MI-13 for 15 issues plus an annual. That whole thing was from 2007 to 2009. But if you're looking for something older, more involved, and a little bit more ridiculous, I do highly recommend the Frank Miller Daredevil Electro Library. It's basically the source book for all things The Hand, and if you're a Wolverine fan, it's pretty hard to avoid them. And it actually does tie pretty closely to the Wolverine mini by Claremont and Miller, and it does truly beautifully reflect the same sort of material that the Dark Phoenix saga covered, and there's a real strong purity of spirit and i would definitely recommend it you can get the whole thing in three omnibuy but if you're doing this on marvel unlimited you're going to want to look at essentially daredevil 158 to 191 219 226 to 233 electra assassin 1 through 8 daredevil love and war Electra Lives Again, and Daredevil, The Man Without Fear 1 through 5. That's about 40 issues, but it's 1,700 excellent pages that I can't recommend enough. If you need something light and that constantly has its middle finger held up in possibly the funniest way possible, I recommend reading Warren Ellis's Next Wave, Agents of Hate. Nico recommended me to read this because it has Elsa Bloodstone in it. It's really light, it's really funny, and it's really a good read all around. I mean, it's the reason why why I fell in love with Tabitha Smith with such lines as, don't you try to impress me with your English counting? You know I growed up in a trailer park. Let's just kill him. How could you not? How could you not want to read it? I'm one of those people that I obsess. Once I start reading something, I just plow straight through it. <laughs> when I first started picking up random comic books again, and I kept coming across references to Layla Miller, and I was so confused. I had never heard of her. And then when I got my Marvel Unlimited subscription, I started reading everything I could get my hands on. And I ran across Peter David's X Factor, Volume 3, Issues 1 through 50, and then Issues 200 through 262. I think I read the whole thing in like a week. <laughs> I read 
read every single comic that was available on Marvel Unlimited, and it was fantastic. Plenty of Monet, plenty of Siren, lots of Multiple Man, and weird disappearing babies. And, like, I would definitely look up a read order, like, check out, like, Wikipedia. That's just one of those incredibly involved books. There's a Madrox mini that kicked it off. Then there's, like, X-Factor, The Quick and the Dead, X-Factor, Layla Miller. Like, there's, like, a trillion tie-ins. So definitely look that one up on Wikipedia. What a terrific recommendation, Regina. I think everyone should read The Phalanx Covenant. One of the reasons that I love this storyline, it is a storyline where these techno-organic aliens that hate mutants take out the main X-Men to begin with. And so we have a giant crossover that does not showcase Jean or Cyclops or Wolverine or Rogue or Gambit. They're all out of the picture and the mutants that have to save the day are the rest of the X-Men teams. And it also is the introduction to the next generation of X-Men characters like Monet and Blink and Skin. This crossover runs through Cable number 16, Wolverine 85, Uncanny X-Men 316 and 317, X-Men 36 and 37, and it is also in includes Excalibur 82, X-Factor 106, and X-Force 38. I also want to recommend X-Men Messiah Complex. No mutants had been born for quite some time because of M-Day when Scarlet Witch said no more mutants. And then suddenly there was one baby that was born and every sides of the Marvel Universe when it comes to mutants wanted to get their hands on this child. The X-Men wanted to and so did Mr. Sinister and his marauders. This storyline collects through all the X-Men books that were happening at that time. It includes New X-Men Volume 2, number 44 through 46, Uncanny X-Men 492 through 494, X-Factor 25 through 27, X-Men 205 through 207, and then it has X-Men Messiah Complex number 1, X-Men Messiah Complex Mutant Files number 1, and Marvel Spotlight X-Men Messiah Complex. It's a great story, which then leads into my third recommendation, a cable volume that started in 2008. I, prior to this, was never really a cable fan at all. I love X force but he was like the one character that i didn't care for mainly just because he was the limelight of the entire series but this cable series made me change my entire thinking of cable and it just had amazing art and it was just written so well i highly recommend this i don't want to say too much more about it because it, i really think it's that good if you're looking for something a little more recent i would like to recommend probably my favorite storyline out of the recent colors era the return of Jean Grey and X-Men Red so this all starts with uh, the Jean Grey solo series numbers 1 through 11 it runs into Phoenix Resurrection uh, the return of Jean Grey numbers 1 through 5 and then you get to X-Men Red where we get introduced to probably my favorite new X-Men Trinary so that's uh, X-Men Red number 1 through 5 followed by x-men red annual number one and then x-men red six through eleven that was definitely what got me back to the x-men hearing that my precious gene was back doesn't take a lot to get me to come running back so we covered x-men which had a real good old time with 
brew and bringing the brew to forefront from their past usage, as well as discussing the treatment of women in the current Dawn of X and how we're kind of expecting a little bit more and we want better things for the women character of the X-Men. Kyle, what are we covering next time? Next time, we are going to be branching out and covering the history of the Marvel Universe by uh, author Mark Wade and illustrator Javier Rodriguez. Until next time, though, you can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. Dylan, where can everybody find you? Everybody can find me on Facebook at the X-Men Facebook group that Regina helps me moderate called the House of X. Or you can find me on Instagram at Warpath underscore Dylan. That is Warpath underscore D-Y-L-A-N. Regina, where can everyone find you? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at the Red Queen of X. And on Facebook at the House of Goblin Queen. Jonah, where can everybody find you? Making a delicious king egg, uh, green eggs and ham omelet, eggs Benedict, as well as anything else involving eggs and becoming the new king of the brew. Or you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. Nico, where can everybody find you? You guys can find me perfecting my drag persona, Brew Paul. (laughs) (laughs) All over this network. On shows like this and HTML, Mondays and Thursdays, we cover the X-Men franchise from all perspectives, whether it's on Modern Mondays, where we talk this show, We Are Krakoa, or Throwback Thursdays, where we take a look at the 80s mutant mania. Don't forget to check out Tuesday's HTML, where Kevo and I talk about the Clone Wars Kevo, my husband, and I have been taking a look at the sci-fi universe of Star Wars, along with most of these guys, as well as some other special guests. Keep an eye out there. Don't forget to look me up on Instagram, NicoAction, N-I-C-O-A-C-T. T-I-O-N, and until we come back, Social Council of Krakoa, keep those mutant lights burning bright. Bye. 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 Goodbye.